Well, hello and welcome to episode number 439 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. We're back, it's the new year and uh, we are back live again on uh, this day. It's Friday, currently the 6th of January at 7 o'clock on this Friday evening. Thanks to everyone for joining us and uh, joining me across over uh, the other side of the village is, of course, the guy pushing all the buttons in the studio. It's Matt Smith. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I know, another year. It's just flying by. I know, I know. So this is technically year 10, I think, if my memory serves 10? correctly. I might be wrong. Uh, Producer John will probably shoot me down in flames very soon. Um, <laughs> but yes, I've, I've got a feeling we've just started our 10th year. Yes, yes. I might actually, be wrong. Quick, a quick run through, actually, because um, I forgot to mention at the start of the show. Uh, this week's show, we are taking a look at some uh, hot new laptops. One passenger suitcase goes on tour by itself. We'll go retro uh, with a look at 1930s BA. And in the military, Chinese fighter jet gets a little too close to a US reconnaissance aircraft. And the Red Arrows are on their way to getting a new aircraft. More Ooh. on that later. Uh, but. Uh, Joining us, as always, across over in his... Well, we've seen it earlier on before we went live. It's just a, it's a state-of-the-art studio. It's Neville Bones. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's a state, is what you really mean. <laughs> <laughs> Nev, good to see you back. Yes, Happy New Year to everybody. And great to be back. I've spent uh, three or four days in Amsterdam this week. Uh, more on that a bit later on. Uh, and, uh, yeah, back to work full on. Um and uh, just come back for a rest, actually. Uh, hopefully, again, we are a, a quieter weekend. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, but uh, no, great to be back. And uh, lots of interesting news stories on the show, mm. I notice, as well. Indeed. Yeah, very good ones this week now. Yeah. But uh, good to see you. Good, glad you've, oh, uh, you've had a busy you. week flying. We'll obviously hear about your exploits with the, uh, with the airlines later on. <laughs> That's a word for it. Indeed. And uh, if you're ever wondering what to do on a on an on an evening when you're sitting at home with man flu and you've got a, a spare PC laptop tablet next to you, then you can stalk someone who's flying an aircraft. <laughs> and I personally, when I'm sitting in my front room at home, love to stalk this next person, our main our, our main pilot of the show. He is, of course, uh, the great Armando. Great. Now we have recorded evidence when we have to present it to the police uh, <laughs> about the stalking, I Quite. mean. <laughs> Quite, yes. Uh, hi, Carlos. It was cool uh, to have you tracking me along, although I was thinking the whole time the soundtrack of Space Control to Major Tom checking in uh, was, was going through my head. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, and the potential lawsuit of the stalking. Obviously, you you yeah. knew that I was I was tracking you the night. Is it is it is it is it a kind of weird feeling knowing that there is someone there sitting at the other end of the world with a computer tracking your every move with the aircraft? Uh, it just made me want to sound more like a trucker on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Ten four, good buddy. <laughs> it was fun. It was good fun. I think that's what you said, Nev, wasn't it? In the in the group chat when we were talking about. Uh, yes, it, it reminded me of my my CB radio days. <laughs> yes, absolutely, back in the day. Back in God, the day. Nice. CB radio. I should yeah. have sold mine. That'd be worth a fortune. I know. Yes. I know. I know. Oh, before before mobile phones, eh? I know. Yeah. I know. Um, yes, yeah, so lots of to do on the show tonight, and uh, obviously it's the beginning of the month, so it's a very special time indeed. So Nev, we've got to thank some incredibly generous people, haven't we? 
Yes, we have. And of course, without your help, folks, we cannot do the show. So uh, many thanks uh, who have contributed to this month's uh, uh, broadcasts from, uh, sorry, to Sam Dawson, Logan Lynch, Alex Robinson, Dirk S, Sasha Beer, Stephen Ivey, Nick Codling, Luis Casares, uh, Alan White, Stephen Howland, Tanya Wyman, Nicholas Hewitt, Masha, Reuben Wells, uh, Neil Lamborn, Graham Haley, Jonathan Warner, Eric Graves, Jordan Rose, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, Adam Spink, Liz Piper, Jeff Ward, Jenny Parkinson, Evan Shue, Stuart Backer, Ray Williams and Stephanie Plummer. And for the folks that pay us uh, via the PayPal platform, thanks to Tony Stubbings, Mazuz Kareem, Richard Adams and Craig Urosoko. Um, thank you very much to all of you. Your uh, contributions are very welcome indeed. Especially at this time of the year when we had to have a new hard disk indeed. in the uh, broadcast PC. Did, that, yes. that did help a lot. I have to yes, say. absolutely. Yeah, uh, <laughs> We finally got to the bottom of why it all went wrong when Carlos is... It's typically it go wrong when Carlos is sat in the chair, of course. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely yeah. typical. Wouldn't do it on my watch, of course. Where would the fun be in that? <laughs> no, so we had, a, we had a new hard drive installed. And, mm. um, yeah, thanks to everyone who, who donates that, uh, well, supports us in that way because it does, as you can see, genuinely help. Yeah, which, absolutely, uh, when things go wrong. Yeah, everyone. Absolutely. Indeed. So... Uh, Thanks to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. and have a quick run through all the names in there. Let's have a look who's there. We've got Mazus is in the chat room tonight. Hello to you, Mazus. Uh, we have got Captain Cruz. Hobby Time is in there. Lee Davies as well. Hello to you, Lee. Uh, Ray Davis was in there earlier. I don't know whether Ray is still in there. It must be like sort of three in the morning. Half past three o'clock, yeah. Uh, we have got, scrolling down, Sturman. Hello to you, Sturman. Uh, we've got Alan White. Hello, Alan. Richard Adams. Hello to you. Captain Cruz. Dirk S. Hello to you, Dirk. Hope you're well. I'm uh, just scrolling on. Jenny over in Rome. Hello to you, Jenny. Good to see you in there as well. Uh, we've got Jonathan Warner. He's obviously waiting for midway through the show. Military <laughs> segment. Our main man, Micah, is in there, ready to defeat the brutal bots that will... Uh, probably Always. at some point on the show. Tony S, hello to you as well, Tony. Uh, good to see you in there. Evan Shoe, must be silly o'clock where Evan is as well. Blimey, they're all in here from Australia today. Very good. Neil Lamwan, hello to you as well, Neil. Good to see you. And Indigo Blue, hello, Indigo Blue. Uh, good to see you in the chat room as well this evening. And thanks to everyone for tuning in this evening and watching the live show. If you listen to us through the downloadable kindness way of things are iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, loads of different ones are available. Uh, if you want to see us live, we're live on a Friday night, 7 o'clock, here on YouTube. Just search for us on uh, YouTube, Plain Talking UK. Subscribe and hit the bell icon to be notified when Matt's hitting the go live button on his touch screen. We'd love to have you in the chat room. Also, hey, real quick, Carlos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just like we encourage everybody that listens to the show to follow us on social media. Um, believe it or not, we actually do the same. We, we uh, Once we get to know you and you're kind of part of the podcast family, we get to, uh, we follow you guys on social media. And it was really, really cool to see our Australian contingent flying this week on, in the, uh, oh, Evan, in the yeah. Cirrus. Awesome pictures. Well done guys. Um, I've actually never flown a Cirrus. So I'm actually a little jealous. I think. I think he met. Did he? Did he uh, meet up with friend of the show Owen as well? Didn't he? I think. Um, they, was it him and Evan had a little flight as well? I seem to recall. Mm. Yes. I think. 
Yes, as well as uh, Grant, too, yes. Exactly. Oh, Grant as well. Oh, blimey, really at yeah. it, aren't they? Honestly, what are they like? <laughs> Anyone yeah. would have thought so they all those, Keep those updates coming because we actually follow you guys also. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where we stalk, we stalk everyone. Yeah, he, yeah. Carlos isn't fussy about who he stalks, really. He he will, um, you know, <laughs> if there's a plane involved, he's up for it. That's that's. I just situation. I just need to get Nev's flight numbers now, so just so I can sort of. Stalk oh wow! Nev okay. When he, when he goes yeah, yeah, flying. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I say careful. We, look, it's bad. It's, it's, say, it's bad enough that we've got the you know the thing where Nev and Nev and Armando can't be on the same show like more than five times a year or whatever. We don't we don't need to have a restriction with you as well, Carlos. Come on, you need to be. Oh dear. <laughs> Oh dear! Well, that's our geeks. We've got to get our fix somewhere. True, true, true. Anyway, so let's move on with the first part of the show. Then, as always, it is the commercial news. So, if everyone's ready, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. Love a good old uh, story about combust or spontaneously combusting batteries, but this one uh, to kick off this first live show of the new year yeah, comes to us from paddleyourowncanoe.com, and the headline: Two flight attendants injured after rushing to extinguish fire caused by an overheating laptop. Yes, I know. Two Lufthansa flight attendants had to be treated for smoke inhalation on Monday evening this week after they rushed to fight a small fire on board a flight from L.A. that caused a power was caused by a passenger's overheating laptop. Uh, Lufthansa flight LH457 departed Los Angeles International Airport at around 3.26 p.m., bound for Frankfurt on Monday, but was forced to make an emergency landing in Chicago around five hours after it took off. The nearly 10-hole Boeing 747-8 veered off its usual route after uh, just passing Minneapolis and headed towards Chicago, where it was made to enter a holding pattern before finally being cleared to land. A Lufthansa spokesperson said the pilots made an unscheduled stop at Chicago O'Hare as a precautionary measure after the fire had already been extinguished. Safety on board was not compromised at any time, and the airline told them in a, state, a statement that none of the passengers on board were injured, uh, but the statement continued that two flight attendants were treated on site for smoke inhalation. Lufthansa's ground staff currently assisting passengers, and they were rebooked on their, to their final destinations. And Lufthansa regretted the inconvenience caused to passengers, and the safety of passengers and crews are a top priority of, at all times. They said, well, "Don't they always say?" Uh, the incident occurred just days after a jet flew a uh, jet blue flight from Barbados was evacuated onto the tarmac at New York's JFK after a passenger's laptop overheated and started smoking, just as the Airbus A320 pulled up onto the gate on arrival. Seven of the passengers sustained minor injuries in, during the incident on Christmas Eve after the emergency slides were used in the evacuation. None of the 133 passengers on board that flight uh, were seriously injured. And laptop computer fires can be potentially very dangerous because they are powered by lithium batteries that are prone to suffering from thermal runaway should they be damaged or overheat. Thermal runaway is essentially a chain reaction where the temperature inside a battery can rise very quickly. The battery is likely to emit a lot of smoke as well as sparks and fire. Once entrenched, it can be very difficult to extinguish a, a battery suffering a thermal runaway. The laptop battery fires have occasionally been blamed uh, on cheap power cords 
but sudden accidental damage is also a major risk factor. Airlines have reported a rise in lithium battery fires caused by passengers getting their electronic items stuck in seat mechanisms. Obviously, for us economy passengers, not an issue. Uh, Lufthansa did not immediately comment on the cause of Monday's evening's laptop fire. Now, there was a video um, that was released on Twitter, actually, of uh, this. I don't know whether that was in the in the media folder to play out, but... Um, the uh, the it, oh, here we go. Without the sound, I think this would be a good idea. But as Not you can quite. see from the uh, video, that the actual smoke blowing out from the overhead bin is quite quite intense smoke. I think. Yeah. And I'm I think I'm right in saying, Armando, that the most airlines or nearly all airlines, I think, carry um, a large um, bag, a specially designed bag, to put these kind of items in to block off the auction to the yeah that's that's correct carlos i think most major airlines and regional airlines and even uh us in the charter world uh, we carry a special bag right it's a it's a, a thermal runaway bag and it also comes with a set of mittens um th- judging by that video that was you know that's a pretty intense fire and and anybody that's watched the videos on these kind of thermal runaways and battery um battery fires it can get really intense really quickly and the fact that it was in the overhead compartment um, that's not great at all because now you have to like fish it out of there right so somebody's got to reach up Mm. um and and what they did i'm sure the video is longer but what Mm. they did of just opening up smoke billowing out and then closing it back up well think of all the wires um i think most people that listen to this show have seen the inside of the airplane with the uh, the trim taken out, right? All the fittings taken out, and you—that's you, an immense amount of wires that run through right above all those uh, luggage men. So by closing it back up, back up, you've got this this really hot, intense fire, and it's it's right where uh, maybe there's hydraulic lines, there's fuel lines, there's uh, bleed air lines, there's electrical cables. Um, and I'm going to add one more thing. December 26th, so this was on Boxing Day, I believe, um, the weather was terrible. Uh, they were passing Minneapolis. It was really cold. There was a storm front coming through. It was one of the, the worst winter storms uh, in recent history. And at that point, you know, you have the cabin crew trying to communicate to the flight crew up front what the what the – issue is in the back how they're handling it once you start figuring out well, they probably not and, and it's a 747 so <laughs> you can't you can't just land anywhere you can't land at minneapolis st paul even though it's a big delta hub um, because you may not get back out they may not have the ground equipment um so being able to land at chicago o'hare was good but now you have this emergency and as a pilot you're thinking man the, my airplane's on fire the weather down low is, is we've got freezing rain, freezing drizzle, um, ha- uh, hard IFR conditions. We're going to have to do an instrument approach down to minimums with questionable condition going on in the back. Is it, that That's how quickly emergencies can compound upon themselves to really, really make a challenging situation um, on, on the entire crew and the passengers. I would like to say, actually, before we before we sort of move on there, just watching the video more closely, if you look, it's actually the most of the smoke has actually come from the fire extinguisher that they dispensed into the bin. In fairness, 
um if you actually watch they when when they pull the handle down they they uh release uh, 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 release a, a um yeah. a fire extinguisher into the the hold and i'm i'm sure it was the right one for the for the issue if you see what i mean do you, um, do you remember nev back in uh, 98 it was that swiss air 111 that dc10 yes that, that had the um had the fire then it caused by the IFE system on the air. Yeah, that was horrific. I was yeah. just wondering, because I don't have the answer to this, so I'd be interested to if anybody knows about this kind of battery technology. Is there any difference between uh, lithium-ion battery um, performance on the ground at sea level compared to where they would be, you know, between, I don't know, six and 8,000 feet cabin altitude, for example? Does that have any effect on how those batteries... Uh, perform mm. in 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 a different situation. I would I don't know the answer to that. I just wonder if anybody. I mean, uh, because of the 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 way the aircraft is working. I mean, is the uh, the oxygen more concentrated? Maybe is that what you're thinking? I don't know. I don't know whether it's a, a different phenomenon, but the, the, there's quite a lot of this going on, isn't it? Whether it's mm. um, from people's phones or laptop batteries and, and this kind of stuff. Um, now that does happen on the ground as well. But I just I don't know the answer. That's why I was mm. asking the question. I don't know. Actually, Alan White has a question in the chat room. Armando, is it halon extinguishers that are used on lithium batteries? Yeah, a, a Class D fire extinguisher, which we have on the aircraft, are if they are effective against um, lithium ion batteries. So um, the the standard dry chemical fire extinguisher will will certainly help. And there's on a 747, there's probably 10 of them, at least. Hmm. Now, the best way to do it is if you can fish it out, put it in the bag, and then put the fire extinguisher yeah. onto it, right? Yeah, definitely. Now it's completely contained. Very much so. Very much yeah, so. Yeah, um, sorry, Aaron in there uh, is correct. It, it does generate its own oxygen, which is why you need you can't use a water extinguisher on them. Um you, you need something that'll that'll literally smother the oh, air. Oh, I see. Yeah, like what you'd use, like with a chip vampire, that sort of thing. Like you almost want. And to welcome to the chat room. I don't remember. Aaron, are you a helicopter pilot? That looks like whirly birds. That's an incredible photo. Whatever that is, that, yeah. uh, that is a helicopter, isn't it? Do believe? I do oh, believe. Hello, yes. Indeed, exciting. Nice to, see a new, nice to see a new name in the chat room. Indeed. Welcome to the minority of helicopters. <laughs> Quite, indeed. So, uh, Matt, you've got the next story, and this um, I found this one this week. This is this is quite interesting because it's not something that. I don't think we've ever covered on the show before. No, okay. Um, yeah, this is... When I first read this, this this will shock you. I did actually proofread some of the stories. Um, and I, I thought it was the, the, the flight safety. It was the flight manual that was in Braille, which did make me nervous uh, initially, but it... <laughs> But it's more for the passengers. Uh, so uh, it's on businesstraveler.com. That's the website. And the headline is Alaska Air introduces in-flight safety manual in Braille. Now, part of me is thinking I'm really surprised that hasn't happened before. Um, but Alaska Air introduced its in-flight safety manual in Braille for persons with visual impairments in keeping with the airline's core value of empathy and ensuring that each of our customers have a warm and consistent experience. The Braille in-flight safety manual provides an explanation of the safety instructions in English and Hindi. 
Alaska Air has partnered with the Xavier's Resource Center for the Visually Challenged to develop this Braille in-flight safety manual. The Braille in-flight safety manual provided uh, to passengers upon uh, boarding, uh, upon request, covers details in uh, de detailed instructions on seatbelt operation, location of emergency exits and life jackets, tactile diagrams that help orientate passengers to aircraft and aircraft positions and other essential safety information. Commenting on the launch, Belson uh, Coutinho, uh, who is the co-founder and chief marketing and experience officer at Alaska Air, said, "We are committed to being socially cohesive, in a focus with a focus on being dependable, warm, efficient, and reliable. And our Braille in-flight safety manual is a testimony to this commitment. We are extremely grateful to Dr. Sam uh, and the entire team at the XRCVC for their guidance and constant support in our endeavour towards." inclusive travel. Dr. Sam, uh, who is the executive uh, director of the XRCVC, uh, who helped develop the manual, said that the Xavier Resource Centre for the Visually Challenged, uh, a department of the St. Xavier College, which I, I, I keep saying that, it's spelt literally as it is in the film. That's why I keep thinking of um, X-Men oh, and um, all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <coughs> Charles <coughs> sorry, Charles Xavier, wasn't it, uh, is a national level support and advocacy centre for persons with disabilities. Uh, XRCVC was set up in 2003 as an assistive technology support centre for students with visual impairment in higher education. Alaska, Air Braille, Alaska Air's Braille in-flight safety manual is an example of an airline taking a step towards social inclusion. I don't think I've ever seen. <clears throat> I mean, I've seen Braille, but I've never known yeah. uh, um, a safety card in Braille on an airline. I mean, presumably, though, for reasons, and and again, uh, this this is, I, I guess, I have, to, I I need to be a bit careful with my words here. I know, um, but presumably, um, assistance is required, um, like on you know, even if it's like special assistance, I suppose. Um, when you when you get going to the aircraft and getting on it, just purely because it would be difficult for. I mean, I know you can get readers and things, can't you? Now that will give you the details that you you need. But I, I, I mean, is there a safety implication um, for needing to make sure that they have someone with them um, to help? I, I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I do lo I do love the idea of the braille card because it means at least that they can they can like read the safety rules if you like you know at their own pace like we all do don't we we all we all pick out different bits and, uh, and pieces of the safety announcements and stuff i mean um i know we've, we've covered this before but like nev for example i mean well nev and amanda i mean you both do an awful lot of flying but i mean you're probably slightly different uh to most passengers the fact that you still read all the details every time you get on an aircraft to remind yourself uh i don't you don't oh <laughs> but oh. i do listen to the, the safety briefing okay that's the most yeah. important thing right yeah okay <laughs> yeah i don't know I, as i say I, i'm perhaps overthinking this um um perhaps but um yeah i i assume that in the same way that like my mum needs to have special assistance when 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 we travel together um you know to, to sort of you know so that it is it is safe for her to get on and off the aircraft and they and obviously they need to to know uh of a person's um uh issue if you like when when they're on board i don't know if that's the right word um, I think the cabin crew are, are made aware of yeah. 
special needs passengers or passengers with mm. uh, you know some kind of impairment definitely yeah, yeah I, I don't know what word is because is i don't like the word disability does that make sense because I, I mean i know uh, people who 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 do have challenges to their mobility and things who would absolutely run ring run rings around me in every single other aspect do you know what i mean so i, I i've never liked that word disability because i i don't think it's i don't think it's the right word for you know just because you can't do one thing doesn't doesn't you know, I, I, I tell you what. In some things, I'm I'm bloody jealous because I would love to be able to do sign language. Mm. I've, I, I know a few people who can do sign language. And I think it's a, an amazing gift to be able to do sign language. Well, uh, why not learn? I could say absolutely yeah. nothing stopping you from learning it, mate. Yeah. Absolutely I not. Know. I know. Absolutely not. Well, I was when when I was younger, I did start learning um, sign language because um, I did have um, hearing uh, issues when I was. A child, and so I did start, but then they found out what the problem uh, was. To to your point, Matt, I, there's so many millions of of travelers on commercial airlines. There are so many kinds of abilities and disabilities and different mm. abilities. Um, it would be almost impossible to um, come up with procedures that are all encompassing. Yes. So I think I think what they do have, you know, and Micah was is talking about in the chat room over at on the geek state interviewed the um, CEO of a company that makes safety cards, but it, it would be almost impossible to cater to everyone. So I think, I think that's part of the training for the cabin crew to um, evaluate people. And then we've talked about that on the show before, right? Mm. Where they, as people are boarding, they evaluate their abilities and they're, they're very well aware yeah. of who will need additional assistance uh, should an emergency arise. Um, but that goes everything to you know even infants right and and yeah. an infant uh, uh, there's there's so many different conditions out there that could potentially prevent someone from effectively leaving the aircraft right um yeah at, at the speed required in which to do it perhaps yeah. yeah but then you know then there's the other part there's that 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 sense of community where i think I think most other passengers, you know, when you sit down and you and you start talking to somebody, or you have somebody next to you, Nev, um, in the back of the plane, you sit next to somebody. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I must look that up on the internet. I'm sorry, what? Yes, there'll be yeah, a video we'll, somewhere, Nev. Don't worry. I'll send you some pictures of, of <laughs> what yeah, the cattle class looks like. Cattle later. class, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think once you sit down. Um, you know, one of the most amazing individuals that I that I've met traveling was just recently, right before. Um, actually, it was October. So when I, I was out to Colorado, and Megan and I were flying out, and um, we noticed that this gentleman was, you know, a quadriplegic. Uh, his wife was with him. They took the extra time boarding him, and sure enough, when we boarded the aircraft, he was sat right next to us, um, and we were. Um, we could see first class, so we were the first row, the bulkhead. Nice, nice, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I got talking to him, and it turned out that he was in the military. He was Air Force Special Operations, as was I. Wow. We knew some of the same people. Um, very quickly, we made a connection. And the point of my story is: should should there have been an emergency, I was one hundred percent ready to yeah. assist the cabin crew because now I know, right? So my 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 civic duty is to help. Uh, this guy mm. get out with me I, I guess my worry is i mean i'd like to say that absolutely everybody in your shoes armando right there at right that moment would 100 percent help 
the person that they're set na- set na- sat next to. Um, but I, 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 and I mean this in the the nicest possible way. You're probably a bit different to Mister Joe, who's just sat on that plane. Where who would perhaps in that yeah, situation be more worried about their own well being than the person they're sat next to? Did, did you, does that make sense? Yeah, I'm a, you know? I'm an optimist. I would. Yeah, I, I think. I think most people would help, but that's yeah. that's my opinion, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you're probably right. I, I'm just uh, older and more cynical. I think that's <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> well, and, and you know, uh, James in the chat room has a great point. Mm. What about foreign travelers that that don't speak the language of the country that yeah. they're traveling? In? Yeah, very true. Right. I mean, you 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 don't under you may not understand the the briefing card. You don't understand any of the flight crew instructions mm. um, unless you're a regular travel a traveler. You, you are very much at a disadvantage if yeah. that's your if you're not a regular traveler and you don't speak the language mm. um agreed agreed so moving on next story nev you've got this one and uh, obviously we've covered uh, uh, before christmas we covered about the old air tags and this is a sort of story um that uh well it's kind of on the same league as such isn't it it is yes it's on the skynews.com and it says how an airline passenger tracked the wild ride of her lost luggage well the chance of your luggage going missing is amongst the most anxiety inducing facets of any flight especially one taken amid the holiday rush unfortunately for valerie saibala that's precisely the scenario that she began 2023 contending with after a domestic u.s journey from chicago back to her home in washington in a viral twitter thread beginning with a post that's amassed more than 20 million views since New Year's Day. She documented the wild ride her bag took on its eventual return to her, all thanks to an Apple AirTag. I'm glad I've got mine as well. I should be using that in the next few weeks. Um, Whilst small disc-shaped devices have come under fire over fears that people can use them for criminal or malicious purposes, they are designed to be attached to keys, wallets and other belongings to help find lost items. Informed by the airline United that her bag had not made it on the flight to Washington and safe in the knowledge that an air tag was attached, Miss Saibala took up the offer of having it delivered by courier. Well, concerned about the whereabouts of her luggage, she investigated an apartment complex the AirTag suggested was housing her belongings. On the 1st of January, three days after the bag was said to have departed the airport, she tweeted it had been sitting in a residential complex for over a day, out the back by the dumpsters. I have found other emptied United Airlines bags, she added. Uh, Miss Sabala shared screenshots of a conversation she had with a support representative from the airline who assured her that her bag was still on course for delivery. I am sorry, I don't even know why it's showing there, they said of the AirTag assertion that it was elsewhere, even suggesting that Miss Sabala calmed down. Well, later that day uh, came a major update regarding her luggage. So she shared a picture of her bag's position on a map and she said, for the first time since Friday, my air tag and hopefully luggage appears to be on the move. It's at a McDonald's. Well, the plot <laughs> thickens. The McDonald's in question appeared to be on Rhode Island Avenue near a shopping centre bearing its name. It eventually left the fast food restaurant, returning to the apartment complex. It's back on the road again because on the second day of the new year brought hope that the luggage would find its way to her home. Uh, the air tag 
uh, is on the move. It's about 16 miles outside of the city in the suburb, she tweeted. Hopefully, this means it's on a delivery run. Unfortunately, a hopeful fingers crossed emoji was misplaced as the bag ended up going back to the flats. Well, following the bag's latest return there, uh, she enlisted a little posse, including local news crews, to go with her to the building. A text message purporting to be the courier followed, telling her that the bag would be delivered on the day and encouraging her to call me or text me if, if you have any questions. It's sketchy and it doesn't really match with what my AirTag tracking said, uh, but I uh, immediately called the number, revealed Miss Saibala. The dude who was picking up uh, around the corner, so the he dude. drove back to meet <laughs> me near the building. He looked a little surprised to have two news crews filming. He asked if he was in trouble or something, but at that moment I was too happy to have my bag back to ask him more questions. A United spokesman told Sky News, we've been in touch with this customer to discuss this situation and confirm that she has received her luggage. The <laughs> service our baggage delivery vendor provided does not meet our standards and we're investigating what happened uh, to lead to this service failure. Do you know, I never thought in all the years that I've known you, Nev, I never ever thought I'd hear you say the word dude. That whole no, story. I, I, I could barely <laughs> even pronounce it. Not quite. That whole story was worth it just to hear Nev say the dude. The dude, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah absolutely. But brilliant. it goes to show, doesn't it, that these things are working and... Yeah. Um, since our luggage excursion from last year, I've bought a couple of yeah. Apple, uh, Apple Air tags, and I shall yeah. be using them for my trip to Barcelona at the end of the month, and in February to Dallas and Portland. So let's see you'll what happens. To, yeah, you'll have to let us keep or give us, give us an update on what they're um, <laughs> how good they are. Nev. Oh, you're not yeah. going to start stalking his luggage now, as we're well. Gonna, are we're going to stalk his luggage. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I have one side of the screen, I'll be stalking Nev's right. flight. On okay. the other side of the screen, I'll be stalking Nev's luggage. Right. And if they don't look the same... Okay. If my air tag turns up on ADSB Exchange, <laughs> I shall be very cross. <laughs> there is a security breach right there. <laughs> security breach, yeah, absolutely. Oh, dear. Uh, Never mind. Anyway, moving on. Next story, Armando. And uh, this is a story that broke uh, just in the middle of this week, actually. Yeah, so the point of the story is remember your training. Uh, this happened uh, this weekend. It was supposed to be a holiday treat, but this teenage pilot was actually supposed to take his grandmother and two cousins on a short flight this last Monday morning across Southern California. The aircraft that they were traveling in, about 5,500 feet in the air, the plane's engine suddenly failed. The sole engine. Brock Peters, 18 years old, who had just received his pilot pilot's license about four months earlier, said that he heard a boom from the engine, and immediately after that, he lost all engine power. Now, Brock, whose career goal is to become an airline pilot, said he knew he only had a few minutes to make an emergency landing. From behind him, he could hear his grandmother crying, but he said he tried to tune that out, and he was completely focused on the airplane. Uh, it was just him, the plane, coming down, trying to get everybody safe. Uh, the emergency landing was on a quiet stretch of one of the most historic roads in America, Route 66, and it actually made headlines across the country. This January 2nd flight had started out as a normal day, according to him. Uh, he's a community college student from Oak Hills, California. Uh, he said that him and his cousins, he and his cousins had been visiting for the holidays from uh, Columbia and Colorado, and their plan was to fly their single-engine Piper uh, PA-28, Complete a flight of about 60 miles from Apple Valley to Riverside, 
where they were going to have breakfast as one does and then fly back to Riverside. A trip he's taken with numerous family members numerous times before. Now, the, this was a rented aircraft. So he once he got to cruising altitude, Peters heard that boom. He relied on his training. He tried to restart the engine. He said that the airplane was losing altitude. And as he tried to restart the engine, he was also starting to think about where to make an emergency landing. Uh, skills that he, of course, had practiced for his uh, pilot, uh, private pilot check ride. Now, he did say that there were fields below the airplane, but there were also rocks, trees uh, everywhere in these in these fields. So he thought to himself that if he landed there, he was going to uh, perhaps generate some injuries, that the plane was going to be completely destroyed. Remind me about that. I'll come back to that. Um uh, Peters decided that the road below them was, he knew it was the old Route 66, and he said he decided that that was actually their best choice to land. So he picked a point in the middle of the road. There was a, a hill ahead of him, a little curve uh, in the road, and he decided to avoid both of those things. There was one ca- car coming towards him, he recalled, but he pulled off the road. Uh, the car pulled off the road uh, out of the way of the aircraft and another car traveling the same direction was safely out of the, out of range that's when he uh, or he noticed that there were some telephone poles and some wires running alongside the highway he said that he didn't realize that until later that there were also wires crisscrossing the highway every couple hundred feet somehow he managed to get this this piper down between all of the wires Onto the onto the road, um, he said later that he didn't even see them. Um, uh, either way, at that point, once he touched down, it was a sigh of relief for everybody. He decided all he needed to do was slow the airplane down, and um, he said that the landing was actually just as smooth as any other landing. Um, he didn't talk much to his passengers during the crisis, only telling them that they were going to have to land. And his two cousins, who were both in their thirties th- and their seventy-seven-year-old grandmother, were all shaken of course um but everybody walked away and the faa which logged the emergency landing uh, listed no injuries for the pilot or the passengers he eventually called 911 fire truck arrived they helped uh, move the airplane a little bit further off the road and um and the faa is is of course investigating this incident um they did say initially that there was some kind of internal failure with with the engine but as you guys can imagine it, this is this is a, a a great feat of airmanship for anyone, but especially a private pilot that has just been you know freshly minted just four months ago. Um, sometimes those are the actually the the best pilots for this because they're because they're fresh, right? Like they're they've just been practicing these emergency procedures, emergency landings, power out landings. Um, it's a, a really really you know kudos and well done uh, to Brock and and. And his airmanship and this kinds these kinds of things do get noticed. Um, so that that's the story. Kind of some points on this. I remember when I first. So I grew up on the East Coast. I learned to fly on the East Coast of the United States. And when I first started flying out west, uh, specifically in New Mexico and Texas, on the East Coast, they're always training you to land on roads perfectly good viable options are roads and when i got out i flew with this this guy his name was ed widener i've been flying since the wright brothers um old as dirt still flying today and 
he i remember him yelling at me because we were doing a, a biennial flight review you know Cessna, i think and um he you know he pulled the engine on me and he said where are you gonna land i was like well perfect perfectly good roads there and he said well that's the worst option don't land near roads there's power lines there's cattle grates there's uh roadside furniture you know the signposts and stuff um he's like you live in the desert now just land in the desert <laughs> um so that was a, a good learning point was sometimes the roads are actually not your best option because there there are is traffic there's all kinds of stuff there um the second point that i took away from this was um uh oh my gosh i'm having a uh oh no the uh, the the fact that he said uh saving the airplane now the, the first airplane that i owned was a lancer and my instructor told me the moment that that engine quits <laughs> the insurance owns the airplane right um so don't try to save the airplane your so, whole purpose your sole purpose <laughs> is to land and walk away in the lowest impact possible and um I've yeah, got, so, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you briefly there just to say Tony S has said in the chat room there, best avoid UK roads, a ploughed field would be far smoother than most UK <laughs> roads, to be fair. Uh, I'll, I'll agree with that. I, I flew GA over in the UK and yeah. the, I didn't even like driving on the roads. <laughs> no, quite. Indeed. Never mind, Dave. Uh, yeah, it's... Um, so, I mean, is it just because of the types of road, you know, as you say, because perhaps um, where you were talking about there, Armando, that the roads are busier, that's maybe why... The, it's a, like a no-go um or is it just, just a so different trainer <laughs> literally as simple as that yeah there's just so much stuff there's there's they're considered as we used to say in the in the military lines of communication so roads is where you're going to find light poles telephone poles telephone wires electrical uh lines people street lights so most of these airplanes so like a like a pa-28 if you land it at its slowest speed possible, I think that the the stall speed for a PA twenty eight is probably forty eight miles per hour ish. I don't know. Don't don't quote me on that. If you can slow the airplane down to forty eight miles per hour, most of us drive faster than that, even on on local roads. So slow it down to its slowest possible minimum controllable airspeed. All you're gonna if you hit dirt, if you hit a UK plowed field, you know that airplane's actually gonna stop in about 200, 250 feet. <laughs> So if you're at the slowest speed possible, again, as long as in your head you think once this engine quits, the insurance company owns the airplane, my whole purpose is to walk away. If you hit a plowed field, you're going to stop in a couple hundred feet. And even if there's some trees or a fence line, something at the end of it, um, I'd rather go for an empty field, know that I'm going to stop in the dirt in just a couple hundred feet but I will walk away from it as long as it doesn't flip over. Um, so I, anyway, that's, you know, uh, thoughts from an experienced aviator. Yeah, he, he did a great job, by the way, though. Yeah. Yeah, there was, and there was a short video as well um, with that, but um, on there of him talking about that on one of the um, American news affiliate um, programs, but uh yeah, he done a good job, and that is one of the first things you are taught when you when you learn to fly. I know that was one of the very very first things that I was taught when I was learning start the learn to fly. At Beckles was well, after you take off, you got to know where to put it down when the engine fails. 
Yeah, the UK is great. East Anglia is great because there are so many fields. Yeah. I would always go for a field. Playing the what if game in my head, I would always go for a field in, in, in the UK other than than a road. Not even a motorway. Um, just go for the field. Go for the field. Walk so away. next uh, story is coming to us from breakingtravelnews.com. Uh, Virgin Atlantic. Do you know? I always thought Virgin Atlantic were part of one of part of one of the various things, but obviously not. Uh, Virgin Atlantic are joining the Sky Team Alliance. So Sky Team, the Global Airline Alliance, and Virgin Atlantic announced in the UK uh, that it will join Sky Team's newest member in early 2023. Virgin Atlantic will become Sky Team's first and only UK member airline, enhancing the alliance's transatlantic network and services to and from Heathrow and Manchester Airport. Um, Virgin Atlantic's customers will benefit from a consistent, seamless customer experience across a thousand plus global destinations. They'll also have more opportunities to earn and redeem points across member airlines and access to a network of 750 airport lounges spanning six continents. The airline's flying club members will enjoy significant benefits from the day of joining with a global expansion of the loyalty offering. And Virgin Atlantic silver card holders will be recognized as Sky Team Elite members. Uh, whilst the airline's gold card members will become Elite Plus, uh, the recognition provides a raft of benefits, including priority check-in, baggage handling and boarding. And flying club members will also take advantage of the benefits as soon as Virgin Atlantic officially enrolls in Sky Team, which is expected early this year. Virgin Atlantic's entry into the alliance builds upon its success of the transatlantic joint venture partnership with Delta Airlines, Air France and KLM, which already had a long-established Sky Team or are long-established Sky Team members. The four partners are located at London Heathrow's Terminal 3 alongside existing Sky Team members Aeromexico and China Eastern, providing customers sort of smooth, air, smooth airside transits and the most convenient connection times possible. Walter Cho, Sky Team Chairman, said Virgin Atlantic is synonymous with innovation and excellent service. An iconic British airline with a global outlook plus customers at the heart of its operations. Like Sky Team and its members, we are delighted to welcome them to the Alliance. Sounds like something out like of Star Wars. <laughs> uh, Virgin Atlantic flies to 12 the Rebel Alliance yeah. through <laughs> the USA in partnership with Delta, Air France, KLM, including New York, Los Angeles, Miami and San Francisco. And in May, the airline launched a brand new service to Austin, Texas and will start daily flights to Tampa in Florida in November. Virgin Atlantic also operates an extensive Caribbean portfolio, including Antigua, Barbados, Jamaica, and the Bahamas. And Virgin Atlantic also operates services to Greater China, India, Israel, Nigeria, Pakistan, and South Africa. Sky Team members Delta, Air France, KLM are already collated at Virgin Atlantic's home base at Heathrow. And Virgin operates long-haul services from airports in the UK, such as Edinburgh and Manchester. And the airline also offers comprehensive networks to North America, the Caribbean, in partnership with Delta, Air France and KLM, which also operates services to Greater China. I think we already said this one. Israel, Nigeria, Pakistan and South Africa. It's a big thing. I, I, I honestly thought that Virgin were part of one of the various um, kind of schemes as such, but because BA is part of the One, world, the one world. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I'm, I'm guessing this this is just the, the Sky Team is just a mm. similar kind of. Um... And they've always always had a lot of close cooperation with Delta, uh, in particular, uh, and um, no, I think that's going to give them a very interesting route network to play with, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good, much good news. Good news for the passenger as well. Mm. It's good to see how the uh, the benefits are, especially with the points. Definitely, points make prizes. Matt, <laughs> or you've flight, got flights the, anyway. Yeah. You've got the next um, story, Matt, and I hope your feline okay to read oh, this. Dear, right? I see what you did there. Uh, it is uh, on the DailyMail.co.uk, where everyone should go for their aviation news. Obviously, cat's out of the bag. Nosy tabby causes havoc on United flight from Dallas to San Francisco. Catastrophe was averted. Big groan, please. On a domestic flight, uh, United flight after an amused a flight attendant helped reunite an adventurous feline with its owner. Uh, the cheeky tabby, which had fled its seat in coach in search of the comforts of first class, oh, it's a classy pussycat then, uh, was plucked from the aisle by, an, by a nearby attendant who asked anybody missing a cat. I bet that's not a conversation they expected to have. Uh, the hairy escape reportedly occurred on a domestic United Airlines flight travelling from Dallas, Texas to San Francisco, California on the 30th of December. Uh, a video captured by a fellow flyer, David Hislop, shows the uh, brave flight attendant. Brave flight attendant? Why? What's the cat going to do? Uh, quite. <laughs> Where's that coming from? <laughs> uh, yes, a brave gingerly walking the snarling cat back down the aisle. Uh, <laughs> Warning passengers to watch out as the feline writhes and hisses. Oh, dear. Right. OK, yes. Uh, halfway through the cabin, the uh, captive kitty makes one last attempt for freedom, twisting out of the attendant's arms and fleeing again towards the front of the plane. Have you lost your cat? Repeats another grinning attendant over the loudspeaker. She is running around the airplane. We're going to need you to come and claim that. Uh, owner finally identified the resigned feline is once more carted back to its seat. Uh, escape uh, attempt thwarted. Uh, according to Hislop, the cat was first sighted by passengers scrolling. <laughs> I bet they did a cat three approach. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. Uh, <laughs> according to United's travel guidelines, uh, pets can travel in the cabin as long as they are within hard or soft-sided carriers that fit beneath the seat in front. Uh, the one rule, however, is that they must remain in the carrier with the door closed at all times. While pets are allowed on United flights, if space is available, passengers are required to pay a $125 fee each way. Certain emotional support animals are allowed to accompany flyers for free but these are strictly classified as specifically trained dogs a department of transportation rule introduced in 2020 now regulates the presence of animals on planes uh, the restriction which outlines clear criteria as to the types of service animals allowed on commercial flights was in response to growing backlash against the outlandish creatures passengers were trying to claim as emotional support animals uh, mr lanwan says i hope they checked the rudder tappies oh no can i can i just say i think i strongly believe 
that this cat was friends with Nev because if you watch that video, oh, oh, straight no to the front, sooner, absolutely. No sooner has she brought it from first class back into the economy right. cabin, furious. it shoots straight absolutely back furious. to yeah, first abs class. Absolutely, it could probably smell better food. Uh, Richard Adams is saying, well, cat with taste. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, Richard Adams is saying, cat hearthlick, cathartic for nervous passengers, perhaps. Oh, cathartic, dear. cathartic. Oh dear, never mind. Anyway. If you're listening to the audio version of this, <laughs> come over. So seven o'clock British time every Friday night, <laughs> just to participate in the chat room because that's definitely the per the best. I promise I was paying attention, Matt. Yeah, yeah. But really, yeah. I was just reading the chat. You were just because it was almost yeah, yeah. catastrophic. Oh, don't you? Uh, Richard Adams says that uh, it was probably after Nev's caviar. Oh, well, good point. Yes, good point. Although, <laughs> once again, I, I think we would struggle to find Nev on, on a United flight. Uh. I, I still, I still can't. You'd never get away with this on a flight here in the UK. You, if I went on a plane with, I mean, not that Poppy would stand. <laughs> Can you imagine? But, you, 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 if I walked on board with her and my hands, that'd be no. You're not getting on board this flight. It's got to go in no. a cat carrier. Yeah, indeed. And, yeah. and that's if you got let on. Well, presumably it was in a cat carrier and it escaped from the carrier. That's the only thing I can think of. I wonder okay. if the, I wonder if the the owner had sort of uh, perhaps opened the front door to to comfort the animal, perhaps, and then and then escaped. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Dirk S is saying Meonited Airlines. Oh, I see. <laughs> okay. Oh, United, United, yes, United, United. Aaron P is saying gives you pause for thought. I mean, we could just spend <laughs> we, the whole. We could go all night, couldn't we? Really, on cat puns. <laughs> Have we got a caption this today? We should probably return to this. I think we, we yeah, that's coming back next week. Don't panic, guys. Oh no. Anyway, moving on to the next. Story. It must have had Nev. a passport. Nev, God, please no, move on. No, okay. <laughs> Before before anything else, I'll get a cat. I'll get, I'll I'll find a cat picture for next week's. Cat right, picture. right. Okay. <laughs> Go back to a serious story with yes. a serious airline. This oh, is right. <laughs> Uh, this, is, this is airlining the, for grown-ups, isn't it? This unfortunately, one, yeah. it's on the mirror.co.uk. Oh, but oh hey, dear. <laughs> can't have everything. <laughs> um, this is about uh, the history of British Airways, but going back to the 1930s when things were somewhat different, Imperial Airways was founded in the mid-20s and would go on to fly from its Croydon base in London to cities across the world, including Brisbane, Bermuda, New York and Hong Kong. In the age of modern air travel, passengers on board even the most budget Ryanair flight can expect a sturdy seat, an armrest and the chance to buy a cup of tea and microwave dinner, as well as access to a toilet. For those early adopters of aircraft, Ooh, steady. <laughs> the conditions were a little different. Uh, on the 31st of March 1924, Imperial Airways, a company which would merge many years later to form British Airways, was launched thanks to a £1 million investment from the government, which brought together its three smaller predecessors. Now, the most far-flung and dangerous corners of the British Empire then were connected by air, slashing journey times in the process. And although the French and German governments had been ploughing money into commercial aviation for some years, the infrastructure beyond Europe was essentially non-existent, prompting Imperial to set about designing routes. A great survey of some of the most hostile, waterless and dangerous areas of the empire was launched in 1925, allowing the airline to build outposts in parts of Africa and Asia, near impossible to visit until that point. 
Builders were sent out to construct weather services, radio stations, landing grounds, and even a giant furrow uh, ploughed in the desert to help pilots navigate. On March the 30th, 1929, five years after the company was formed, its first official flight was flown from Britain to India, according to Sentinel of Flight. Uh, it was a momentous occasion given the significance of the country in the empire and how many people journeyed between the nations at that time. Eight passengers hopped aboard a de Havilland Hercules trimotor biplane that went through France, Italy, Greece, Egypt, Iraq and India. Whilst slow by modern standards, the route cut the travel time down from three weeks via sea to just one week by air. By the late 1930s, flight times had been progressively reduced and India could typically be reached in two and a half days on Imperial Airways flying boat crafts. A promotional map from 1937 showed the rapid expansion of the company, which by, the which by then operated routes to Durban, Bermuda, New York, Hong Kong and Brisbane. As radical as the transformation of global travel was, it would remain the reserve of the very wealthy for decades to come, as well as those willing to endure a little hardship. Images from onboard one of the airline's early commercial jets shows two rows of rattan chairs for passengers to sit on. <laughs> In-flight meals were fairly similar to today's offering, although may have been more appetising, with reports that in the 1930s food could typically include cold chicken, fruit salad and sandwiches. One plane in 1925 had long windows running along the wall, which seemed more suitably designed for an Edwardian house rather than an aircraft, which has the potential to crash and needs to cope at varying levels of air pressure. Accidents were, understandably, very frequent. In the first six years, 32 people died in seven accidents, which is not a great rate of return, given that only around 1,000 people were flying with the airline each week by the end of the 1920s. Imperial Airways' dominance of the skies above the Empire would come to an end as the 1940s approached, when the UK government ordered the military takeover of most civilian airfields in the UK and stopped all private flying without individual permits. On the 1st of April 1940, Imperial Airways Limited and British Airways Limited, which had formed four years earlier, were officially combined into a new state-owned company, British Overseas Airways Corporation, which operated throughout the war. Three and a half decades and several absorptions later, this would come to be uh, this would become British Airways as we know it today. It's amazing, isn't it? The mm. uh, we. We're worried about being about five or ten minutes late sometimes <laughs> with our flying and getting to our destination. But it's not that long ago, is it, that we that the flying was a completely different experience, yeah. uh, unreliable and and quite dangerous. No, I could, I, I, I could, I completely agree. One of the nice things for me um, in this is, as you mentioned in in that Nev, and I'm going to pop it up again here. I mean, they literally look like dining room chairs that people, yeah. are, or, or, <laughs> or or more patio furniture, I should say. It looks like something you know that you would find in your modern day, um, pat, you know, your um, conservatory, you know, to sort of take a, a seat in. I mean, it, they're literally they're just chairs. Fixed. I can say I don't know if they're fixed, um, but uh, with the with the next picture, I'll just move it on slightly. As I say, with the, like what you were saying there, like the curtains. So you've still got your overhead storage, a bit like you would on the train um, in, in that time there. But um, but also, I mean, again, let, let's bear this, bear this in mind. You know, this is a time where if you were going to India, it was taking you three weeks 
to get to your destination there. So to literally cut that by two thirds, you know, to sort of turn that into a week. I mean, that must have been very exciting at the time, you know. It, Dirk S is wondering in the chat room what what the uh, labs looked like looked like on board the aircraft. Probably a bucket, I would imagine, or just a hole in the <laughs> hole in the bottom of the um, fuselage. Possibly, yeah, possibly. <laughs> Especially in those times. Especially in those times. It's uh, uh, we I've, I've got a, a message from somebody who uh, uh, I, let me let me just see if I can get the uh, image uh, up Why here. Why do you do that, Matt? I'm yeah. going to open this bottle of Bishop's. Oh, are you? oh, right. <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> uh, From the Shepherd Neem Brewery. Very oh, good. Very good. A good. A good drop. That indeed. Yeah. I've just tried. Sorry, I, I tried to do it. Just chat amongst yourselves uh, for a moment because this picture that I've been sent is relevant to uh, to the conversation. You're right. You know. Having you're right. You know, guys. We take we take for granted a lot of what we do now in, in the world with in regards to flying anywhere, anywhere, everywhere where we want to go get to it for a minimal you know cost mm. but back back then flying was you know for the very rich do um, we do we know what the costs were then i, I mean, mean i suppose if you look at the, the comparable was... cost now i think it was probably very incredibly expensive to um yeah i think it was proportional i think it would... yeah it, we this uh, over christmas and uh, the christmas break i took the whole family over to the smithsonian national um air and space museum over in Washington, D.C., the one over at, at the mall, because there's two of them. Mm. And um, one of the coolest displays there is they have the, not, not the first uh, airliners for the big airlines in the in the U.S., but but some of the most uh, iconic airliners. So I think there's a, a, a Delta Airlines trimotor, Ford trimotor. There's a Eastern Airlines DC-3. There's a TWA uh, Bell 247, I think it is. Um and there was a United, uh, something weird. It was like some kind of uh, Hughes design. Um, and it just, I love seeing stories like this because it, it really was. I mean, the 1930s and 1940s were the golden age of aviation. It was such a, a classy thing. And I remember being in a museum in, in Mount Pleasant, Texas, in in a Ford, uh, Delta Airlines Ford trimotor. And with the wicker seats, the rattan seats like that, but there was actually like sconces. There were there were gas, you know, oh, lights. Last gas lights, yeah, yeah, and on the side, right? What? Yeah, and the whole and the whole airplane is made out of wood, right? The whole interior is made out of out of beautiful wood, but they would have actual, you know, these these oil lamps as sconces on the side of the airplane that the attendants would. So uh, just, Ca Captain Cruz has been in touch with a with a well, I think it's come from a tweet uh, or maybe even Instagram um, that it says and it's he's uh, he's he's put the tag on the bottom of it. Of Those were the days. I mean, now that is what I call a trolley. <laughs> <laughs> that is my idea. That is kind of what I would expect Nev to still experience today. You know, there's a ham on the bone there with some salady bits and pieces. You've got a cask ale look for a nice for a nice drop of lager or, or beer. I mean, the seats look three times wider than anything we've seen these days. I mean, very comfortable. <laughs> does, look, does look very nice. It is definitely That's all you need in life, right there is a a, a, a ham and a. Yep. keg of beer ham and beer what more could you possibly fly need? around the world with that <laughs> yeah, absolutely amen to that uh there we go well done for stalling so long by the way armando thank you for that i'm very <laughs> grateful uh <laughs> so next story armando is uh going back over to the u.s for this one with you and it, it sort of kind of relates to a story we covered before christmas all about the um 
the NASA's 747SP that was retired. Yeah, and, and continuing the theme of going back in time, so NASA's now getting a Boeing 777. Uh, they have been flying a DC-8 as part of its flying observatory missions since 1985. That antique bird, as you can imagine, possesses far too many problems today. So a replacement is well underway, which is a Boeing 777. Uh, newly added, almost 20-year-old, wide-body 777-200ER, uh, formerly flew for Japan Airlines, had registration Juliet Alpha 704 Juliet. However, under NASA, the 777 will have a new American registration. The aircraft was uh, restored in Victorville, California from July 2020 up until just December 15th of this year. Uh, well, last year, I guess, 2022. Um, the jet made its way out of Southern California over to Langley Air Force Base in Southeast Virginia. Now, the DC-8 that they had been flying um, was a four-engine jet, heavily modified to aid the agency's science mission. Uh, 1969 DC-8, it was acquired by NASA about 15 years later, and it had been housed at the NASA Armstrong's Flight Research Center in Palmdale, California. So according to NASA, it had a range of 5,400 miles and can fly at altitudes from 1,000 up to 42,000 feet for 12 hours. The space agency also stated that the data gathered from the aircraft at altitudes uh, through remote sensing units have been used in studies uh, in archaeology, ecology, geography, hydrology, meteorology, oceanography, volcanology, atmospheric chemistry, cryospheric science, soil science, and biology. Uh, all of the ologies, pretty, all of them. That's, that's pretty good after three bourbons. <laughs> very good. Very good. Um, <laughs> all sorry, way. let me push the PTUK mug, which yeah. is also great for bourbon. Oh, interesting that you've gone for that and not the uh, the military version, by the way. Oh, that's because I just used it this morning. Okay. Um, right. <laughs> well, not with bourbon, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> uh, either way, the four types of missions that had been flown with the DC-8, which will be taken over by the 777, sensor development, satellite sensor verification, space vehicle launch and re-entry telemetry data retrieval, optical tracking, and, you know, basic research studies of the Earth's surface and atmosphere. Yeah. You know. Simple things. So, things I mean, we all do on the weekend. Well, quite, yeah. One, one of the things that was interesting, producer John put in the, in the notes there, is interested in why NASA didn't go for an already US-registered Boeing 777 based in the US already. Money, 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 money. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> and we'll leave it there. Uh, Carlos, I think you're next. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did wonder that when I when I picked that store, and I thought, yeah. you know, with all the aircraft they've got over in the boneyard, well, they've got so, deserts full of so, them, haven't they? I mean, full of, yeah. full of American registered triple sevens yeah, that just, just sit there, there. Yeah, some of which are probably younger than twenty years old. Yeah, yet they chose this twenty-year-old Japan Air one, Japan yeah. Airlines triple yeah. seven. Uh, Do you well, think well, a relations we, we exercise maybe? No, we actually don't know if it was in Japan, so they may have mothballed it, and it was it was probably in storage in the southeast United oh, States. Okay, right, yeah. Lots of airlines will store their aircraft. I know if you go to Roswell, there's Korean Airlines seven forty sevens. If you go to Victorville, there's I mean, there all the world's airlines will store their aircraft, um, mm. or maybe it had been sold off already by Japan Airlines, and it was just being. Um, Stored, you know, by one yeah, of these yeah. outfits. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So yeah, I don't I think it was that. actually flown from Japan. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So the next story, and it wouldn't be 
a P2K show <laughs> if we didn't have a story about someone kicking our off and having a fight off. on board yeah. an aircraft. So, this one from the dailymail.co.uk. A wild moment when a... Vir- We're going to Australia for this one, so Grant, Ooh. if you're listening. Uh, wild moment when a Virgin Australia pilot is forced to leave the cockpit and wrestle with an enraged passenger. I must just point out this was on the ground, not in the air. Uh, a Virgin Australia pilot has been forced to leave the cockpit and wrestle with an pa- enraged passenger before booting him off the flight. The pilot had to physically shove the aggressive man off the plane after a fierce air hostess took him on while he refused to cooperate. The plane was due to depart from Townsville Airport in Queensland, but it appeared to be delayed after the man who was a passenger, claimed he'd had had one too many, refused to accept his fate. The man who wore yellow Crocs, obviously that's incredibly offensive. That's always a warning sign, yeah. (laughs) Was told, you're off, mate, or you're off, mate, as he struggled against the pilot and continued to (laughs) protest. Uh, the air hostess and a member of the public then helped to push, uh, helped the pilot push him towards the doors of the aircraft. Don't blinking well touch me, you stupid Wally. The man was heard oh. yelling from the outside. Obviously, I've uh, edited for broadcast. Edited yes, that yes, out. Yeah. Yeah. The female air hostess then raised her finger in a warning to the unruly passenger as the pilot told the young man to stop swearing. Obviously, Wally is just a terrible word to use. Good point. Uh, a Virgin spokesperson told the Daily Mail Australia that the safety of all guests and crew are a number one priority, as they always are, and we have a zero tolerance for any type of unruly behaviour on board Virgin Australia flights. Incidents are referred to the Australian Federal Police or State Police where appropriate, and it's understood travel restrictions have been imposed on the passenger in question. I should hope so. Viewers were quick to applaud the crew for how they handled the situation, and one was said, uh, one passenger was said or heard saying, "Damn, the crew did an amazing job. They shouldn't have to deal with this." That female flight attendant was fiercely awesome. One wrote. Uh, well done to the crew. Even though they were trained for this, it's still an awful to deal with this, she also commented. Uh, they also said he'll be he'll love catching the bus to his future holiday destinations. <laughs> another wrote. And another person said, cabin crew do not deserve behaviour like this. Thank goodness for the pilot for stepping in. Mm. Another viewer also wrote. And now obviously Matt threw the video then on the on the on the screen there for those of you watching in YouTube world and um well, Matt, Matt, you got to throw up uh, Alan's comment in the chat room um, while you're doing that. Uh, I love that the flight attendant, who was probably six inches taller than the pilot, also got in there and, and she got just as feisty, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, as, yeah. feisty as the pilot. That's, Indeed, that's cool. yeah. Is that reaction called fight or flight? Is what Alan is suggesting. <laughs> yeah, probably a bit of both. Yeah, I, I think. Like yeah. yeah, he'll he'll uh, he'll probably be. Having to make other uh, travel arrangements for a- yeah, I'm 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 with Deck. I'm with Dirk on this one. By the way, he was obviously removed for uh, wearing yellow Crocs. I do think that is a crime against aviation, fashion, life in general, pretty much everything. <laughs> Indeed. Now, next story. Uh, Armando must have slipped this one in here. Yeah, I think because I, I haven't seen this one in here. Um. What is interesting is I had also not seen... Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, it might have been producer John, of course, because he was tinkering with the notes at the end. I done the notes this week. (laughs) Yeah. As as we all have our surprise deer look to. Yes, yes, startled. No, no, this is a pretty cool story. It's another 777 story. Um, You know, 
air travel, global connectivity, boosting economies, trades, tourisms, all that stuff, right? But there's one thing that unique, uh, one thing unique to air travel that travelers can do, and that's time travel. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Because, what? Exactly. That's what I thought. So that this is what happened just this last week on two different United Airlines flights. So although they had already rung in the new year, 2023, in one part of the world, they would actually get another chance to do ex- to do the exact same thing somewhere else when they landed back on December 31st. So this, this particular time traveling flight that we're going to talk about is United 858. Nonstop flight is typically flown on Mondays, Tuesdays, Fridays, and Sundays, connecting Shanghai to San Francisco via a stopover in Seoul. Uh, on December 31st, United 858 departed from Pudong International Airport at approximately 2038 on the 31st. And then it arrived at Incheon International Airport at 2254, also on the 31st. So after ringing in the new year at midnight, United 858 departed from the airport an hour and a half later and uh, was flying at over 9,100 kilometers west, past the international dateline, and it arrived back at San Francisco uh, basically the day prior, allowing passengers to soak in the final hours of the last day of 2022 all over again. <laughs> so so some time-traveling flights have grown increasingly common over the last couple of years. It's typically more uncommon to see more than one such flight happening with the same airline. So while we just talked about United 858, um, there was actually a second uh, flight, United 200, that was doing daily service between Guam and um, Daniel Inouye International Airport in Hawaii. And on January 1st, UA 200 departed Guam at 7.40 in the morning, flew 6,100 kilometers eastward, arrived in Honolulu at 7.22 p.m. the day before. So there you go. Sounds like something that uh, Dr. Steph would do, <laughs> just with all her her sky miles and her money and her status, where <laughs> she would want to ring in the new year twice uh, by just by know, being in different parts of the world. Literally, uh, yeah, absolutely. Sounds Good old time travel. Do you remember that movie called Millennium? Yeah, yeah. Has uh, the, the lead guy in that was Chris Christopherson. Oh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. right. Had that guy with a beard. Wow. Brilliant okay. film. Really, really. If you've not seen it, it's a, such a good film. Okay. Yeah. Sounds and good. for a film of its time, the special effects were pretty damn good. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to go back to like uh, 1984 when that came out or something. Yeah, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, good film, though. Good film. Wow. Okay. So we have got so one more, I see. We have got one more, and uh, it wouldn't be a... a yeah. The first show of 2023 without our top 10. And we haven't yeah, had the top 10. We the top 10. So, yeah, we've got two here as well by the look of it. Yeah, so, so, Nev, uh, what, uh, uh, what are we looking at here, Nev? Well, it's the most punctual airlines in 2022. Ooh, and I can't good. wait to see where British Airways are. Quite, absolutely. <laughs> uh, indeed. It's going to be a, a surprise to everybody. Indeed. All right. Well, if everybody's ready, then we'll do the, uh, we'll do the usual. Should we start from number 10? Yeah. In 10. That's American Airlines with 78.29% punctuality based on over a million flights. And nine. It's Qatar, Qatar, Qatar. (laughs) One of those. 78.32% punctuality. And eight. 
80.46% point, 80. I think officially counts as a B. That's United Airlines. <laughs> In seven. It's uh, Emirates with 81.3% punctuality based Ooh. on nearly 138,000 flights. That's a big number, isn't it? In six. It's uh, Avianca with 83.48% punctuality. In five. Weird, did we plan it this way? I got all the US airlines. 83.63% <laughs> Delta Airlines. And four. LATAM at 86.31% uh, based on 451,000 flights. And three. Uh, number three, Japan Airlines. 88% punctuality. And two. Well, I just ruined my streak, but uh, this airline did not at 88% punctuality. All Nippon Airways, ANA. And Bully's special prize. At number one is Azul Brazilian Airlines with 88.93% punctuality based on 279,722 flights. Wow. Okay, we'll move on then straight into uh, the top performing global airports of 2022. And for me, there's a big surprise here (laughs) in at in 10. That's uh, has Charles, to be uh, Douglas. Oh. Of course, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> yeah. Thank you. How could you steal that from me? In <laughs> He's in Charlotte and everything. The, yeah. Right down the street, the Charlotte. Go on, then, Armando. Yeah, Go yeah, on, yeah, just yeah, do yeah. it. Do yeah. it. Yeah. I'll do it again. Here we go. Ah, yeah, Intent. Yeah, you ruined it, Charlotte Douglas International Airport. One of the best airports in the world with its rocking chairs. Eighty percent. In nine. Yeah. It's El Dorado International Airport in Bogota, 80.72% punctuality. In eight. Wasn't that a series on ITV? <laughs> yes. Anyway. No, the BBC, uh, BBC One, dear. BBC, it was tea BBC time. One, yeah. It was uh, the neighbour's Seat- replacement. Yeah. <laughs> Number eight was Seattle-Tacoma International Airport in Washington with 81.04% punctuality. In seven. 81.84% punctuality. Indira Gandhi International Airport in Delhi. I'm so glad you had that one. Uh, in six. <laughs> so Minneapolis St. Paul International Airport in Minnesota with 81.95% punctuality. In five. And I don't like the cheese, but it's Philadelphia <laughs> International Airport, Pennsylvania with 82.54% punctuality. In four. Ah, the golden crown of Michigan. 82% <laughs> Detroit <laughs> Airport. In three. And Salt Lake City is up there in Utah at 83.87% punctuality. In two. Oh, I knew I'd get this one. <laughs> it's Kem, it's Kempegowda International Airport in Bangalore, India, with 84.08% punctuality. And Bully's special prize. <laughs> Sorry, 84% also the accuracy to which you pronounced that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at 90%. <laughs> Punctuality. We feature it almost every week on the show. That's Tokyo's Haneda Airport. Ninety point three three percent. That's pretty I mean, good. That, that just that just shows because Japan, honestly, they they do do stuff well. So I mean, so I, I've got some issues with this. I, I mean, so, uh, one of the things that uh, is is in the notes in the bottom here. Quite rightly, there are no European airlines or airports that appear in this. Now, is is that be- perhaps because this particular survey is biased? Maybe because it was no, they don't done by CNN. But they, but it was done by CNN. So perhaps they didn't. You know, you, perhaps they, you know, Americans don't like Europe. Let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> they don't like to. Yeah, but you know. It, 
Amer- you know, Europe is a very foreign country as far as you guys are concerned. <laughs> Europe is right. is the country as far as a lot of Americans. I'm not even. Go- I'm not even responding to this. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to cut that out and post. Just, okay, just right. be happy, Armando, that Charlotte Douglas yeah. made it into the top ten. Top ten. That's incredible. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of our little city here. The crown. But, the crown but hold city. on, Armando. Where the hell is Atlanta? Well, you know what? I, I think Atlanta just has so much traffic in there that, if yeah, it 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 would be almost impossible to get in there. But I don't know. Maybe. Mm. What do I know? I'm not an airport guy. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> anyway, moving Indeed. swiftly on with the show, we've got... Uh, don't forget to stay tuned to the show because we have got uh, our Christmas competition questions to announce again on the show. We're going to extend it until next week when we're going to draw the names out of the hat to win our very, very special tags, which we'll show you later on in the show. So questions for them coming up later on. But first, we'll hand things over to Armando. Okay. Well, uh, we are just scooting along right through the show, and uh, this next part is obviously the best part. Uh, Matt, let's pull that ejection handle. Watch up, buggies, one, three, five, fifty, angels, sixteen, heading three, four, zero. Okay. Now, before you uh, launch into it, Armando, I just wanted to say you mentioned Jonathan Warner earlier. Uh, lots of mugs were delivered over Christmas, and I'm pleased to say that this one arrived in Mr. Warner's hands, I'm pleased hey. to say, over Christmas. He is currently watching the show with this in hand, you'll be pleased to know. Mac is proudly there uh, with all the details. Uh, if you if you want to get your hands on one of these mugs, by the way, uh, it's got some great captions on the side as well here. It says, as I say, it says, I only listen for the grey stuff, which is very much what uh, what uh, what both Armando and uh, Jonathan Warner do. So, and uh, Nev, as we established on the New Year's show. <laughs> true, true. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, do carry um, on, dear boy. <laughs> well, I, I will say I wasn't originally uh, supposed to be here on the show, but uh, I pre-recorded some of the military stories. Matt, if you're ready, yep. go ahead and hit that button. So this first military story is from DefenseNews.com and Some of you may have already seen the video that surfaced online already that was released by the U.S. Department of Defense, but a couple weeks ago now, the the Pentagon released a video showing a Chinese fighter jet intercepting a U.S. Air Force RC-135 ribbit joint reconnaissance aircraft. Now, we've talked about this aircraft before. It's uh, essentially a signals platform, an electronic warfare platform, there's uh, uh, just over a dozen of them that are based at Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska. They fly all over the world, uh, basically uh, sustaining the intelligence mission, the strategic intelligence mission, sometimes tactical intelligence, for the U.S. Uh, Department of Defense. These flights are pretty commonplace, especially off the, in the Pacific, off the Chinese coast, the Korean coast, uh, amongst other places in the world. Um, the uh, People's Liberation Army Navy pilot uh, was flying a J-11 and flew right in front of the RC-135. According to the Department of Defense, it flew within 20 feet of 
the uh, the RJ's nose. Um, that's a was actually put out in a statement by the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command. Now, the another U.S. military spokesperson said that the Chinese fighter actually came about 10 feet from the wing, um, pretty close formation uh, before actually moving to the front of the RC-135. And at that point, they determined that uh, 20 feet from the nose of, of the RC-135, which is a 707, um, it was, uh, was more riskier than it should have been. Intercepts are pretty normal, just as are the reconnaissance flights. Um, intercepting them is also normal and uh, usually these kinds of intercepts take place at a safe distance they identify each other sometimes they talk to each other uh, sometimes they don't talk to each other but there's a mutual respect that goes on and it, uh, it rarely becomes a dangerous thing now, if you guys remember a few years ago now there was an EP3 a US Navy EP3 that was intercepted by a Chinese aircraft and that air aircraft actually hit the nose of the P-3. The, I think both the, the pilot survived, the, the, the fighter jet pilot survived, and the crew of the P-3 was able to put it uh, down on Hainan Island. You can go back and look at uh, some historical pictures of that. Pretty amazing uh, airmanship from the entire crew, especially when you're not expecting to land in China and you've just been uh, collecting intelligence on them. But um, either way, this is a, you know, kind of an interesting, uh, I think Matt's going to show the video here in a second, but, you know, it happens regularly, but when it gets dangerous, it's just a, just an unneeded risk that, uh, that nobody needs to, to deal with. So bad on the Chinese pilot, good on the American pilots. I don't know, I always say that, but uh, glad it just didn't turn out into a serious event as has happened in the past okay the the, the geek in me so great story as always and, and you'll summarize for us in a moment armando but the little box to the uh your left hand side of your head i am absolutely fascinated as to what that is because it it looks like a i don't know it, it looks like a sat nav but without a screen basically <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm happy to hear that that's what you took away from that story. Yes. Um Yeah, no that that's a Sorry. that's a Gar <laughs> that's a Garmin GDL32. It's just a uh that is an ADSB device. Uh an ADSB in specifically so that allows us to see uh traffic and weather uh among some other things, um real-time weather on the um on our iPads. <laughs> Tony, Tony says it's a speed uh, speed mm. detector. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny because I've broken a couple of speed limits here and there. Um, okay. I was, uh, well, geez, I guess this is a public yes. pot podcast. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Th disregard. Yeah. My, yeah, my yeah. friend Lar <laughs> Larmondo Marion has broken some speed <laughs> limits he, here and there in, in the yeah, hawker. Yeah, quite, indeed. <laughs> indeed. Uh, I have, uh, yes, I'm, I'm sorry that my only takeaway from, from that was that, but it, you know, it's the, it's the uh, tech geek in me. Can't, can't resist. It's like, oh, that's a box. I don't know. What is that? Do you remember those yeah, really yeah. bulky, bulky plug-in 12 volt things you used to stick on your windscreen on your car years ago yeah 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 oh the, the speed yeah yeah yeah, speed yeah. detecting the up, infrared yeah. wasn't it yeah, of, the, yeah. of the gatso cameras and stuff i bet nev yeah. nev had them in his xr2 <laughs> there's a there's a couple <laughs> well, similar devices out there but actually um <laughs> this, i guess technically a plug for the apario stratus the stratus 3s actually has 
uh, ADS-B in, as well as a cabin altitude detector and uh, attitude heading and reference system. So you can actually, on a an experimental aircraft or in a certified aircraft, you can't replace the primary instruments. But with these little devices, which cost, I don't know, 800 bucks, you can suction cup it to the window. You can hard mount it to the airplane and essentially have a full glass cockpit in your airplane. Which so cool. again, sorry, I completely off topic. This is not obviously what you were expected to be talking about in the military. Um, good but, but there's no, there's no screen there. If you see what I mean. So is, is there like, are you essentially saying that within the, the glass cockpit that you're referring to there, that there's like a, like a scart in, you know, so that you could, or a HDMI in, <laughs> HDMI where you can just, in, yeah. you can just sort of plug in. Uh, not at all. It is actually just displayed on your iPad. Oh, okay. um, Wi-Fi type sort of thing. It's a a Wi-Fi or a Bluetooth signal. Yeah. And I'll show you quickly here. Sorry. I've completely sidetracked the military. I do apologize. Now, this is what it would look like on an iPad. So this is just a regular, like, nine-inch iPad. (gasps) So you have all your traffic, your route, your um, weather all coming in. And then you have with uh, something like a Stratus. You had attitude and heading reference. So you, as you tilt and fly the airplane, it actually gives you airspeed, altitude, and uh, and attitude. Fantastic. Thank you very much for yeah. indulging my nerdiness. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no techie. problem at all. Uh, and that's and- what a RC-135 rivet joint does. Uh, bl- uh, bless you. That's, that uh, was the story <laughs> that just played out. Okay, right. So, so, I, no, once I saw the box, that was it. I was asking you questions while it was being played out. So, uh, yes, do summarise it for me because I'm a Muppet. <laughs> uh, the, the the military story that we just played out? Yes, was yes, yes. RC, Yeah, it was an RC-135 that got intercepted by a, a, a Chinese fighter jet. And, uh, well, I don't want to rehash the story there, but... They, they fly around here all the time, Matt, and you cannot miss them because they really? are the weirdest, weirdest-looking planes... Oh, really? ...you'll ever see, yeah. <laughs> when you, if you see one, they're a four-engine plane. They're based on a... On a 707. Uh, 707. And, but the, the, the nose of the aircraft, rather than being just a normal mm. you know, no, nose, of like a, what you'd associate with a normal commercial passenger aircraft yeah on the rivet joint one it's got like a huge nose wow that sticks okay. out the front so you cannot miss it when it flies and they do fly over here right uh, okay. quite regularly yeah okay cool cool so okay. next story armando what we listen to what we got next uh next one we're going over to the uk and we just talked about the red arrows over the new year's show but this is the red arrows signing a deal for getting some new airplanes now this next military story is from the Mirror uh, UK, where we get all of our military stories uh, there in the UK. But the British Defence Chiefs have just signed a nine billion dollar pound deal in the quest for a new Red Arrows airplane. Now we've talked about the Red Arrows uh, over the holidays, and we aired out that interview with Doug Smith, their team manager. But they basically the Defence Chiefs had signed this deal, um, a research effort paving the way for the Red Arrows to find their replacement aircraft. Now, in July of last year, um, the, there was reports, there were reports that for the first time ever, the RAF uh, Red Arrows might have to fly a foreign-made aircraft. Um, they were kind of talking about that because the Hawks are supposed to be retired by 2030. Now, the Ministry of Defense has signed a contract with a uh, Bristol-based company, Aralis, uh, as a uh, kind of a 
nine billion dollar nine billion pound down payment on a new generation of aircraft. Um, this will give the MOD access to digital engineering support and some data, which could in turn lead to uh, the firm producing a family a family of light military aircraft. Um, according to some sources, that would be fully British designed, engineered, and manufactured, uh, which would be the first British-made military jet since the Hawk, uh, originally made by Hawker Siddeley, which I am sitting on a Hawker Siddeley 125, now known as a um, uh, Hawker uh, 800 XP, 850 XP. Um, so there you go. The uh, Some industry experts are saying that this is a good move. And of course, you know, we, we want to make sure that the Red Arrows uh, succeed and have the right airplane to, uh, to do their outstanding air shows. As much as I love the Thunderbirds, as much as I love the Blue Angels, um, controversy, the Red Arrows is always my favorite display team. So, so does this mean that you're, you, uh, you have to like um, give up your American citizenship um, for liking the Red Arrows more? I don't... <laughs> Luckily, I'm retired from the United States Air okay. Force, so I don't get my like demoted for saying that the Red Arrows are my favorite air show. Yeah. <clears throat> I really do like them. I, they're just something special about the Red Arrows. I, I mean, the the Blue Angels are, are really good at what they do. The Thunderbirds are are almost as good as what they do. <laughs> but there's just something about the Red Arrow show that um, has always been interesting to me. I think it's because they're more approachable. Really? Yeah. I I don't know. I don't want to knock my own you know my own countrymen in my own service, but. Man, dealing with the Thunderbirds is a pain in the butt. Like, <laughs> okay, okay, controversial. <laughs> I, remember I mean, I remember that one? Yeah, it's a great. It, they put on a great show, but the logistics—they require volunteers, they require security, they require you know vehicles. They and that's all. The kind of uh, the burden is placed on the base that they're going to go do the show at, right? And like, man, we're just busy. Like, people yeah. are busy. We don't have time to to chop off thirty people and forty people to go help the Thunder Chickens go do their show. And uh, <laughs> right, so, I don't know. Okay, yeah, but nah, you, they I put mean, on a great show. I'm not knocking them, especially. By the way, we're going to have a special guest on this spring who was the squadron commander of the okay, Thunderbirds. Right. So okay, so d yeah, get, get it out of your system now. Right That's what I'm suggesting, Armando. Get it out of your system now. <laughs> That's definitely the way forward. It's, uh, I mean, uh, my, my experience, again, as you say, like, they, they always seem to... We don't seem to have... I mean, we've we've been very lucky that we... Was it Mike, I think, that we interviewed who was an ex-Red yeah, Arrows the, with, the, with the Blades? Yeah, yeah and oh, that, right, right. that was um, really, really yeah. sort of quite fascinating and stuff. And, uh, uh, Nev, you, you guys actually had an interview with with um one of the red arrows obviously when you were in jersey as well yeah well, he, well he carlos him. interviewed uh, doug smith didn't he Who yeah was the uh, manager of the team which was uh, fascinating yeah what yeah no really that? good it, it, it's clever yeah, brilliant stuff so they are definitely approachable then i suppose but that's the um uh, <laughs> uh, uh will is saying he actually knows jim patterson formerly of red one there you go <laughs> Oh, Will, I need to tap you up for that. Let's, must, get, an, let's get an interview. I'd love an interview. We need to get an interview with, with a, you know, a current pilot. That's, that's your mission, as, should you choose to as accept much, it. As much as, as much as the Red Arrows are fantastic, and, yeah. you know, we've all seen the Red Arrows at air shows across the globe and yeah, the yeah. UK here, especially 
I do believe, and I know Jonathan Warner will 100% agree with me here, I do believe it is time they, they did have a replacement aircraft. Oh, controversial. Replace That's military story number four, sir. Oh, oh okay. okay. <laughs> I'm glad to see you've read the show notes. <laughs> okay, anyway, moving, moving on. on. Story number three. <laughs> and, uh, Hashtag comes, awkward. Yeah. This, one, <laughs> this one comes to us from defensenews.com and firstpost.com. The Pent- well, we covered this story actually in the- just before the Christmas show, actually, wasn't it? The uh, Pentagon uh, ground some F-35s after the ejection on the Texas runway. Uh, the F-35 Joint Program officers grounded a small number of the newer F-35 Joint Strike Fighters in response to the December 15th incident uh, in which a hovering fighter crashed on a runway at Texas and the pilot ejected. Now, we did cover that story uh, on the show. Uh, in a statement to Defence News on Tuesday, the F-35 Joint Programme Office confirmed it's issued a guidance as a result of the incident that some higher-risk F-35s are grounded at least until January. The JPO, which said the guidance was dated Thursday, declined to specify how many F-35s are unable to fly. And the video of the F-35B crash earlier in December at Naval Station Joint Reserve Base Fort Worth, Texas, and its pilot's successful uh, ejection on the ground quickly went viral on social media. And we did also have that video on the show as well when we'd done that story. Mm. Uh, Lockheed Martin builds the vast majority of the F-35s at, at its facility in Fort Worth, and the company had not yet transferred the new F-35B to the U.S. government when the crash occurred. Pratt & Whitney makes the F-135's propulsion systems that power all variants of the F-35s. And the U.S. Air Force pilot who was performing quality checks on the F-35 being questioned that we covered for the Defense Contract Management Agency can be seen hovering the fighter jet not far above the ground in the video. And then the fighter descends, bounces off the ground, tips forward on its nose, and the right wing touches the ground and the fighter starts to spin round in a pirouette. If you watch the video, you'll see it on there. Uh, the JPO would not say what caused the grounded F-35s to be deemed a higher risk, and a source familiar with the program who spoke on the condition of an, an, an anonymity because they were not authorised to discuss details of, of the incident said the initial assessment of the investigation which is being conducted by the Naval Air Systems Command with the support of JPO found that a propulsion system issue led to the 15th of December crash of the hovering F-35B, which has now led to a broader grounding of the fleet. The source said in guidance to the services, the JPO said a failure of a tube used to transfer high-pressure fuel in the F-135's engine prompted the office to update its safety risk assessments. Not not a great year for the F-35 back in 2022, Armando, I must say. <laughs> no, it also made up about 22% of our military news coverage for the year um, yeah between you know mishaps and 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 whatnot but yeah a little bit nebulous on this one they're just not really saying what they think the cause is and um additionally i saw uh, an extra story that israel had grounded 11 of its f-35s um, based on some of the initial findings from that crash there in, in texas so um now the f-35 uh, sorry, the Israelis fly an F-35I, which is based on the F-35A, which is a land-based. Um, this incident was with an F-35B, but I think it's powered by the same engine. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with this. 
Okay, I, I mean, you lost me at F35B, I'll be honest. But <laughs> Jonathan, Warner, uh, Jonathan Warner in the chat room says, am I alone here in thinking the B model is a pointless in today's Air Forces? Oh, there we go. There's a, there's a nice picture of it. Look, there you go. Uh, the, Mr. Warner's playing the game, by the way. He's sending me pictures I mean, as the it, stories. It, it looks <laughs> nice, and I've said it once, and I'll say it again on the show, and I'm not the military expert here. I'm underwiz. I still think the F-22 looks so much more sexier than the F-35. Yeah, you know, they're they're both cool-looking airplanes. This yeah. uh, I was I was listening over to APG and and this this B model with its uh for the fan where the fan is in the middle for the vertical takeoff opens up. Uh, I think it was either Jeff or Nick that were talking. Wouldn't that look great with a big American flag in there? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, F 35s not a good year. Um, like Micah saying, everybody's <laughs> Cap- just happy. Captain Crew says the only good B is the B1. There you go, <laughs> <laughs> the B1 Lancer. Yeah, one of favorites. That's got a spotted history, too. I remember when the, the Lancer had some back problems, <laughs> all their the the um structural, the fuselage was, had some real problems that they had to address a couple of years ago, but um. Yeah. Anyway, talking about bring back new- the Harrier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, no surprises on what's coming up next, Armando. <laughs> no, I was actually making fun of Carlos because um, wait, did, do, don't we have play play the next video? Let's let's see what it is. Okay, right. <laughs> I see what you did there. And this last military story from the Aviationist.com: uh, the fortieth flight test squadron at Eglin Air Force Base in Florida took possession of the first two government-owned Kratos XQ-58A Valkyries, which are low-cost, high-performance unmanned aerial vehicles. The Autonomous Aircraft Experimentation Team uh, was established within this unit to use the XQ-58 and the Eglin range for further developmental ground and flight testing. So until now, the Valkyries testing has been carried out at the Yuma Proving Ground out in Arizona, which is actually run by the Army, um, with the aircraft owned by its maker, which is Kratos Defense. Um, Now at Eglin, because military ownership of the XU-58 is new, much of the aircraft's infrastructure and logistics have to be created from the ground up and will be recorded according to one of the spokespersons from Eglin Air Force Base. Now, the resources that are available at the Air Force-owned Eglin uh, military range are a major reason why the XQ-58 found a home uh, there on the the Northwest Florida range. Uh, The Eglin range has communication support infrastructure that is going to allow some engineers at at ground stations at its central control facility to monitor the vehicle's performance during flight. Additionally, some autonomous aircraft operations a very uh, controlled military airspace there and safety processes have all been developed to ensure the safe and effective flight testing for these uncrewed aerial vehicles. Now, the Valkyrie was instrumental already for multiple Air Force test activities in recent years. Uh, back in 2020, the drone acted as a data link and a translator between an F-22 and an F-35, while in 2021, it was actually launched from the weapons bay of a um, it, oh, it launched from its weapons bay, a smaller drone, which was a, an Altia 600, um, known as the Air Launched Effect, ALE. Um, 
some spokespersons described this new round of tests as time critical with um, with a lot of testing to get done in a short period of time. Uh, their goal is that the testing will be complete by the fall of 2023 in order to um, operationalize the XQ58. So additionally, the team is building out um, a data storage and a simulation environment to capture uh, operator feedback, integrate the operator's inputs uh, into the autonomy autonomy software processes, this, which is one of the things that is unique about this XQ58, is that we'll actually have somewhere between machine learning and artificial intelligence, uh, but it's essentially gonna be an autonomous um, unmanned aerial vehicle. Um, so all that data is gonna be captured uh, there at the Eglin test range. Um, the Air Force Research Lab, which I used to be part of, the uh, AFRL is working with multiple industry partners to integrate uh, leading edge autonomy capabilities into this aircraft and uh, and then of course with uh, with modern technology they're going to have simulation capabilities and they'll be able to really put the XQ58 through its paces there at Eglin in Florida before they uh, send it over overseas somewhere. Um, really interesting go to theaviations.com uh, check out some of the pictures it's uh, kind of an awesome looking little drone I saw a mock-up of this when uh, my wife and I were over in Colorado Springs and we were, went to the Air Force uh, Falcons football game there at the Air Force Academy and they actually had an XQ-58 sitting on a stand, a mock-up. Um, not as big as you would think, but actually pretty cool looking airplane. So we'll see what happens with this and then uh, kind of track it. Uh, Eglin is a big uh, Air Force Material Command test base. You know, lots of testing goes on there. Um, some other day we'll talk about some of the cool things that they do at Eglin Air Force Base. But this uh, next uh, generation unmanned aerial vehicle coming out. There we go. It's <laughs> it's uh, it does it does look stunning. I must say the X, the XQ fifty eight. It does. It looks it looks the part. Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's a uh, full on. Um... Oh man, what was that Sylvester Stallone movie where they're <laughs> uh, well, quite. <laughs> it's not Demolition Man. No, I know the one you're on about. Yeah, it's definitely futuristic looking. I mm. like I said there in the story, I, Megan and I were at the Air Force uh, football game up in Colorado Springs, and they yes. had a mock-up of one of these. <clears throat> that was pretty cool looking. Um, this this is great. This is this is uh, what happens when I pre-record the military. Uh, and you guys just go on autopilot. So sometimes I just feel like it's me and Jonathan Warner, pretty like, much. Yeah, yeah. Having a, having a beer, listening to some gray stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's, it's only us. As I say, this is the trouble because Armando's been here. As I say, because he's very good, bless him, and he he does record them in case uh, he's not able to join us. And quite often you're not able to, aren't you? Because our plans change last minute. So unfortunately, he's he's experienced first. Thank you, Alfie agrees. Uh, he experiences well, first. <laughs> I I uh, I recorded those yesterday because there was as Carlos was was stalking me. I mean tracking me. <laughs> tracking. Uh, he was also communicating with me. We were supposed to leave Miami at like twelve thirty Eastern time, and uh, two hours later was when we finally departed. So I had an extra two hours of sitting in the airplane with the APU on and the air conditioning going, just waiting for our passengers to show and, up. So it's the opposite video call. Yeah, we did have a, you know, oh, I got dear. a chance to chant, uh, chat with Gemma. But um, 
but it's the opposite of commercial flying, right? So like the airlines don't wait for you to show up if you right. show up late, you're you're donezo. But if you're a private um, pilot, this, it's completely opposite. <laughs> a completely opposite. We are yeah. just there, you know, burning a good two hundred pounds of fuel per hour until they show up. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Just with the APU. Yeah. So mind you, I guess, I, I guess if you could afford to be privately chauffeured, uh, he says probably <laughs> using the wrong word. Um, well, that's their airplane. But well, exactly as you say, if they, if you're you, you're being discharged with the sort of like you you just if you could afford to have a private flight, you can afford to make the pilot wait. <laughs> thing. I suppose yeah. that he's, he's, so at, at, at that is this sorry nerd mode. Uh, at that point, are you still technically on the clock? So could you potentially run out of flying time at that point? When do you technically clock on and clock off? Uh, it gets a little shady there because as part 91 we we have uh we don't have very strict crew duty day limits right um if you're doing a charter you do if you're flying for an airline you do yeah but as a part 91 private owner uh flight we don't really have a lot of flight uh limits now we still have them but still a two pilot crew it's a lot longer day we we the pilots are are free to say hey we're fatigued we're exhausted we're not flying if you don't show up in the next hour we're, we're going to spend the night here um but you this is a, a secret negotiation and conversation that has been taking place is now that uh the good looking lieutenant colonel jeff um <laughs> is flying corporate and pip and myself are all flying corporate um it would be a great episode i know we always talk about military specials but I would actually love to do a business aviation special with those two guys. Yeah. And kind of talk about this yeah. that'd be, that'd part be of aviation. Yeah, that would be fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And on, on that note as well, it, it, it was talked about just before Christmas, and it is going to happen. I know someone mentioned it in the chat room earlier on this evening before, well, just as we start the show. We are going to be putting together a special uh, flight sim um, episode of the show where we're, I'm going to get together with... Uh, Stuart Aslett, who uh, who does a lot of flight simming at home, as as, ah, okay. I, as I've been today, and we are going to do a special episode on the show, all based on flight sim and what our thoughts are on the okay. current two big players, as in X Plane Eleven, uh, X Plane mm. Twelve, and Microsoft Flight Sim. So we are going to put that together. So if you are on that note, if you are a big simmer at home, if you've got um, a setup and you do do your flight simming at home, um, yeah. Feel free to send us an email if you want to be a part of the show. Yeah. Uh, I know Armando's going to join us for that one as well, because yeah. Armando does his own bit of home simming. Does he? Uh, using X-Plane. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to put mm. a little special episode together of that coming up later on uh, this year. Yeah, get in touch. It's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Now, uh, going from virtual into the real world here, uh, I thought you were going to say a military special hosted by Nev, uh, Mr. Warner was <laughs> suggesting there. Can a you short remember? show. <laughs> a short, brief, brief show. Uh, while we're moving, we'll move from the virtual into the real world, Nev. Now, you you had um, what I can only describe as a, as a challenging experience very recently, uh, flying. Yeah, that's just something that's never happened. Uh, well, it hasn't happened for a long time, actually. Um, flying out to Amsterdam uh, on Wednesday morning with the wonderful British Airways and the in-flight lead uh, lady called Jill, who I got chatting to as well on the aircraft, and Captain Steve, which was brilliant. Um, but the winds in Amsterdam were extremely strong uh, and they were coming out of the south to southwest so actually that really restricted 
uh, where they could land uh, on the airport. Obviously, Schiphol's got so many runways, you think, well, there wouldn't be a problem at all. But it's uh, got a quick uh, diagram of yeah. the uh, the airport itself. And, um, you know, it's got plenty of runways. You think, well, what, what's the problem there? Normally, you'd be landing on the uh, what's called the Polderbarn runway, which is 18 right, which is on the left-hand side of your picture there. No trouble with that is it's um, about a 25 minute taxi to the main terminal <laughs> so it's, oh, wow. it's a long way out so we actually um, we couldn't leave straight away because there was so many uh, restrictions on the number of aircraft allowed in the terminal area so we ended up landing on uh, runway 24 uh, which I've never done before mm. um, and it was extremely bumpy um, all the way down actually up until about the last 500 feet the, the, the actual landing itself was uh, wasn't bumpy at all but uh, it was just one of those days where there was extremely stiff breeze coming out of the south to southwest so it's the first time i've ever landed on uh, that runway uh, wow but, um, at least they've got the runway there to do it but of course yeah um, they need to control the flow of traffic into there because um, there's potential for go-arounds and also by using that runway it means they can't use some of the other runways as well so true but uh, yes that was uh, all very interesting uh, but uh, no great flight as always with them um, and uh, it was nice to uh, have a chat with Jill because what happened was we actually pushed off the gate at Heathrow and then just uh, on one engine and then just shut down in a remote part of the airfield because uh, we had to wait for about 45 minutes because of the uh, delay but it was it was really good and uh, really enjoyed uh, the flight we weren't actually that late in the end as it turned out but it was all all good so I thought I'd share that with yeah. you indeed I'm surprised to hear the words bumpy <laughs> oh it was extremely bumpy extremely they, bumpy. they borrowed yes. borrowed the uh, runway from the a12 uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> possibly yeah yeah possibly oh dear so it's competition time and your chance to win one of three tags or you can enter to win whichever tag you wish to win basically uh, nev has got the questions for you i've got the tags here with me uh, so the first tag um, is a 747 tag. And here we go. I'll pop that up in there. Nev? Yeah, so this I, is... How can I win this one? So the three tags up for grabs, up for winning. Um, and this is the British Airways 747 uh, which is uh, registration Golf Bravo Yankee Golf Alpha. The question is, what year was Laker Airways founded? What year was Laker Airways founded? founded uh, the next tag we have is from the airbus a400m the question for this one is what aircraft was the v22 osprey developed from what aircraft was the v22 osprey developed from oh i know the answer uh, no, 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 next, next week, next week. You <laughs> and finally, we've got the F4 uh, Phantom tag. Um, and the question for this one is on the 6th of December 1959, the second XF4H-1 Phantom performed a zoom climb to a world record height. What was that height? And we'll accept your answer in feet or meters uh the uh question again on the 6th of december 1959 the second xf4h-1 phantom performed a zoom climb to a world record height what was that height 
So just for the benefit of the who's watching, the tags, here we go. I'll just quickly show them in front of the camera. Because they are quite, they're quite uh, unique. We've got the 747 tag here, which is cut from the rudder section of the aircraft here, which looks pretty cool. But the honeycomb section there. The A400M, there we go. There's that one there. This is number 10 of 50 uh, that was cut from the aircraft. Again, the honeycomb section. So that's number 10 out of 50 of those. And then the F4 Phantom one, Black Bunny, which we've got here. There's 50 of these cut. This is number eight of the 50 that were cut. We'll put it in front of the camera. You'll be able to see that. There we go. There's the tag there. So in with a chance of winning one of those, uh, just answer the questions and email them to us on the show. And yes, you have to send them by email. Don't put them in the chat room. So the email address, as always, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And we'll announce the winners on next week's show. So get those answers in via email to us here at the show. They're easy to find out, trust me. Good old good old Google is your is your help there if you need any help. Um, but, uh, yeah, whichever tag you want to win, whether it be the F4 Phantom, which I know Jonathan Warner will probably put 16 uh, answers in for that one, so he gets a chance of the winning that one, and the A400M as well, obviously, and the 747 if you want to uh, win that tag. All the answers send in there. It's as easy as that. So, quick round, Robin. What's everyone up to next week before we finish the show? We'll start with you, Nev. What are you up to next Ooh, week? Oh, uh, no flying next week. Um, just very busy for work. We're back out on the road again doing lots of things. We've got a very big exhibition coming up in Barcelona at the end of the month. So Ooh. I'm off there for a week. Um, that's our big show that we do in Europe every year. Um, a lot of prep work required for that and lots of... Um, contacting customers make sure they're coming and this sort of stuff so yes we're very busy but uh, no uh, more, more domestic traveling i'm pleased to say indeed and matt what are you up to next week uh not a lot really my job has changed slightly so i'm going to be on the phones this week which i'm not thrilled about but uh, there we are so that lots of learning uh doing a slightly different role to the one that i'm normally used to so uh yeah that'll be uh unusual <laughs> <laughs> and Armando, where can I stalk you next Oh, week? nice. <laughs> um, well, uh, should I tell you or should I just let you find out? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Make it more will, challenging I'll give for you this. Him. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be in the hawker on Sunday for uh, four or five legs, and then Monday and Wednesday I'll be in the Pilatus, uh, going to our corporate pilot's favorite place to go, Teterboro, New Jersey. So I got an overnight there. Um, nice. A little bit of flying. Nice, sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, and I'll be back to driving. Hopefully yeah, next week. Yeah, back, yeah. To, back to work. Get get rid of this dreaded man flu. I'll be back on to uh, firing on all cylinders. Hopefully next Ree. week, all being well. So yes, all good. All back to normal. So Nev, for the for the benefit of those who may not know, and they should know really by now, where can uh, our glorious listeners find us on social media? Yes, on the socials, it's Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Plain Talking UK. Uh, you can contact us on our WhatsApp number, which is plus 44 757 224966. That's plus 44 757 224966. Email the show, 
podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and the website is all the w's plaintalkinguk.com you can also subscribe to our youtube channel you'll get notifications when we go live and you can help shape the conversation by joining us in the chat room of course just go to youtube.com and search for plain talking uk don't forget you can also use the amazon link on our website uh, which will enable you to get a uh, will get us a small referral free from Amazon when you do your shopping. And you can also go to the website for information about um, helping us by funding the show with Patreon and PayPal. Details of that are all on our website. So that's it. Carlos? Oh. Oh, ah. sorry, that's me. That's my fault. <laughs> Oh. That's because I coughed there and I switched the microphone off. Seriously. That is where we're going to bring episode 439 to a close of the show. Big thanks to everyone who's tuned in tonight via YouTube to watch the show. And also not forgetting everyone who downloads the show as an audio podcast each week. Thank you to everyone involved in that as well. We'll see you next Friday for episode 440 of the show. So don't forget to tune in next Friday at 7 o'clock to the Plain Talking UK podcast. So from me, Carlos here, and the home studio from Matt in the PTUK Master Suite Studios, from Armando in his glorious studio over in America, and from Hanev uh, in his fantastic suite over in... Soundproof, don't you know? Soundproof. It's soundproofed as well. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. See you. Bye.